Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Glad to be with all you wonderful people again today. It's been about two weeks since my last video and uh, a lot has gone on actually. This week in particular there seemed to be quite a bit of news. Um, so happy to talk about all of that. Going to talk about a, a trading idea that I think is, is worthy. I'm going to probably make a bet but it's not going to be until later in the year. But that's with uh, Trevina, a company that has a painkiller that um, was issued a CRL later late last year. And uh, they're, they're not looking very good, but there's a small chance that um, they could get some good news in a, in a small study that would lead to the big increase in their stock price. And uh, other than that, I'm just going to follow up with some of the news of the day. So yeah, glad to be with everybody. A uh, bit of a tumultuous close there at uh, the end today. Um, S&P 500 closed at around 2,800 and the XBI closed just under 88. So um, it's lost some value from its recent high, but... Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get into that. So, first thing I want to talk about is Trevina. So, please check out my previous video on Trevina if you want some details on uh, on what's gone on with the company. And uh, for those who don't know, though, a quick background is they have a painkiller, an opioid called olaserdine, that preferentially activates the GPCR pathway of the mu opioid receptor as opposed to the beta arrestin pathway. And they claim in their papers and a lot of their filings that the that olaserdine's preferential um, activity for the GPCR is uh, changes the side effect profile, so you don't get the respiratory depression and uh, the GI uh, side effects associated with normal opiates like morphine or uh, heroin, for that matter. So uh, olaserdine's being was marketed as kind of a safer alternative uh, to regular opiates and also has potentially uh, an improvement in painkilling activity. So they conducted a, a number of studies, three phase three studies, w w in which one of those is open label. And uh, I show this graph here as an example of the type of data they presented. So they end up getting a, a slightly increase in a slight increase in the number of responders very early, but uh, you know, long term, they, that sort of trails off and, uh, and morphine catches up and is slightly better, maybe not too much better than the 0.5 uh, milligram dose of olaserdine. So they, uh, and there are some side effects that are associated with this. Um, one of the things that came up in the filings was they, they didn't have a ton of data on it, but there was this QT interval problem with some patients uh, that were treated with olaserdine. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of controversial and I guess you can see here the adcom failed in late 2018 8 to 7 and you know I didn't really agree with this because it seemed like the the treatment was relatively safe and is quite comparable to morphine so I don't see why this thing couldn't be on the market and could provide a good good competitor to morphine and you can argue you know how tough it would be to to have them battle against morphine since morphine is pretty ubiquitous now but uh, I don't see why the FDA would have to get in the way of them necessarily based on all the effort that they put forward. So the FDA followed along and issued a CRL uh, late last year. And then what we found out earlier this year is that Trevina received these type A minutes uh, stating that the agency would support a maximum daily dose of 27 milligrams, that they agreed to a placebo-controlled study in healthy volunteers to get QT interval data, which is what I just talked about, 
non-clinical data to characterize this 9662 metabolite. And uh, yeah, so this is pretty much what Trevena needs to get in order to get this FDA approval, which, you know, doesn't seem terribly difficult. They, uh, they say they have enough funding to, to fund uh, operating expenditures and capital expenditures into Q3 of 2020. And because this olisertine treatment is short term, uh, there's a good chance that they, they could wrap this up pretty quickly if they just need healthy volunteers and they, they also just need this non-clinical data, which shouldn't be too difficult uh, to get, I would presume. So there's a chance that if they do get this data and they submit a nice package to the FDA that olisertine could be approved under this, this limitation of uh, 27 milligrams per day. So uh, here's my overall breakdown. Um, and I didn't talk about this too. The the skewed takeaway takeaways from their previous FDA meetings. So I don't think this is necessarily something to worry about, but it should be noted that the Trevina has had a history of um, not being truthful with what has gone on with their meetings in the FDA. And it's become kind of a problem because the FDA doesn't post minutes of their meetings with companies when they're when they're private like that. It's up to the company itself to actually uh, post a, a press release that outlines what the FDA said. And there's, I don't know if it's going on anymore, but there was a class action lawsuit filed by a, a law firm because Trevina misled investors a little bit about uh, an FDA meeting they had. So it's something to be cautious of with their optimism um, but again, you know, this is, we're treating this as a relatively high risk, um, like high chance of failure, but a uh, high reward if it does work out. So the company also has partnerships with a company in South Korea as well as China, and they've received some upfront payments and these are going to increase. There's, there's other milestones, uh, including a pr U.S. approval of the drug. So if they get that there, this is another reason why the stock would increase quite a bit if they got that. Trevina also has a bunch of early stage assets, and by a bunch, I really just mean two. Um, they they have some early data on it, and it looks okay, but we're really dependent on olisertine approval. These assets could be bought out or something, but it's not really something we want to bank on. So the company is awaiting guidance from the FDA. They Trevina submitted a package to them outlining what they want to do, and they're going to get feedback from the FDA, which should you know make a very clear path. Uh, to them if they're able to get positive data. So really what we're betting is that this QT interval data is good in healthy volunteers. And uh, I, don't, I don't really see why it wouldn't be. It seemed like they just didn't have as many patients as the FDA would have liked in the original filing. So I think it's a, it's a decent opportunity. And I like the idea of buying uh, out-of-the-money calls, like one call, because I don't really want to put too much uh, of a gamble out there. But you buy an out-of-the-money call, and the, the maximum loss you can have is the money that you pay to purchase the call. So if they're going to start the study in the first half of 2019, I'm thinking of waiting until early of the second half of 2019, buying like one out-of-the-money call, and just seeing whether or not it, uh, it, it pays off. So that's my idea with uh, Trevina. Definitely not a long-term thing, because I think olisertine uh, competing with morphine is is not an easy game. So this is really just going to be a short-term gamble if, uh, if I happen to have the capital ready around that time. So that's my breakdown of Trevina. 
Next thing I wanted to talk about is Amron. Amron was in the news today, not today, this week, because of their uh, presentation at the American College of Cardiology 68th Annual Scientific Session. And what they showed, the additional data that they had was uh, not just first events, but first and subsequent events. So the original data just had the first event um, breakdown between the Vasipa group and the placebo, but now they combine them all. And what we can see here is this uh, hazard ratio of 0.7. So it's actually a little bit better than the 0.75 that we see with the first event. And, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. So, uh, and what that looks like is for every 1,000 patients treated with Vasipa for five years, 159 MACE events could be prevented, which, you know, that's sig significant. I really think that that's, uh, that's a big deal for people. Um, the stock ended up selling on the news, and uh, I don't know, I think the, the hype around the buyout is really what got uh, investors excited, and when that didn't happen, it was just a good reason to sell here. So uh, this is dated. The stock is actually hovering around 17.5 now. I added around the 19 area, and uh, I sold a put yesterday, um, so it's a bullish bet that the stock's going to actually increase back over 18.5. Um, yeah, because I think that this is just a, a temporary setback. And in my model that I presented in my last video, and I encourage you all to see my previous videos on Amron, um, I think the, the company is undervalued here. And uh, I have been talking a lot about Amron, but Amron's an exciting company, so uh, I might move on from them after this. But the things that we're waiting for now is the uh, supplemental NDA filing before the end of March. So next week we should hear some press release. And with a 10-month regulatory review, we're expecting uh, 2020 to be the first uh, year that it is approved under the new expanded label. Because Vasipa is already uh, approved, it's just not under the um, expanded label. That includes people with over 150 milligrams per deciliter triglycerides. So one reason why I think the stock uh, did not rally was this, I don't want to say hit piece, but I almost feel like it's a bit of a hit piece by Matthew Herper in the Stat News magazine or website. And he tried to give a, a balanced take, but I think it was more on the caution side, which I don't really agree with because, well, check out my previous videos and you'll see why. But the, and I got a, a caveat here is that I, I wasn't able to actually go through the article in depth because it was behind a paywall. But the things that were brought up was, were, the mechanism of action, the mineral oil, and the placebo, as well as the previous data that was mixed. But, you know, for all of these things, uh, you know, mechanism of action isn't a huge deal if the safety is worked out. And, you know, Vasipa has been treated in a ton of patients already. And there's been a lot of uh, data already to show that Vasipa is safe. And, you know, there's so many drugs that have been approved already that don't have a mechanism of action, so I don't really see this as a concern. The other thing, the mineral oil and the placebo, so I talk about this again in my other video, uh, we can quantify the effect of the mineral oil, and the concern is that it may have prevented some statin, some statin absorption in the placebo group, but not the, uh, not the drug-treated group, but we can quantify that because of, there's baseline data as well. So... I think it, it worked out to like, it could be uh, seven or like 9% of the effect is due to the mineral oil or the lack of statin absorption. But um, 
it's it's controversial and i don't think this is really anything to worry about given that they've uh already had meetings with the fda about the mineral oil so i don't think it's a big deal and the mixed data from the previous um previous large studies they didn't just use epa like amarin did it was either a combination of epa and dha or it was just a, a crude fish oil mix so it's not uh, honest to say that those previous trials really compare to this new trial and I think there was a Japanese study that actually showed um, that just EPA on its own is able to reduce uh, reduce the the negative cardiovascular events so uh, watch my previous video I don't think I disagree with a lot in this article and I think it's what led to uh, part of the sell-off so uh, with that, I thought I'd talk about a few other news events that happened. So Aspirion presented as well at the American College of Cardiology. They showed good efficacy. Um, the thing that really came out was the increased number of discontinuations um, in the bempedoic acid group. And the one in particular was gout. So gout was quite a bit higher compared to placebo. And our good friends at uh, Stat News, Matthew Herper, another hit piece on Aspirion, um, and this data apparently leaving more questions unanswered. So I uh, this doesn't worry me too much. I think that this drug also um, is a big, is a substantial uh, offering compared to PCSK9 inhibitors. So uh, I don't. I just see this as a hiccup more than anything, and I'm still holding on to my Aspirion, even though it closed today at like 41. So it uh, might be a good opportunity to buy, but I, uh, I didn't buy anything today. All right, something else that happened is uh, Sage's Zulreso was approved for postpartum de depression, which everybody should be really excited about. This is uh, great for any new mothers who might be suffering with this condition. And uh, it's approved under this REMS program. So the patient has to go to an approved facility and get this infusion for an hour or two. And some people on Twitter were complaining about the how long the infusion is and how they don't want to do it. But you know, compared to something like suicide, uh, I think that them having another option is a huge improvement to, to what it is right now. So I think that's great. 400,000 women annually are su suffer from this. So it's, uh, it's good that this option's out there. And Sage themselves have raised almost 600 million bucks for a sales force. So they're going to get out there and market the drug. And uh, let's hope for the best. And their, their upcoming trials um, should also show some good data in their uh, oral version of, of this drug. So <clears throat> I'm holding on to my Sage, and uh, I like them as a long-term hold. All right, next company I wanted to, to talk about was Amun. Amun announced that their BLA was accepted by the FDA under a 12-month uh, review. So people were disappointed in that. They wanted it to be shorter, and that's from the January 2019 date that they filed. So uh, it won't be approved until early 2020, January 2020, and the company is expecting an advisory committee, and, uh, you know, that's fair. But the stock sold off quite a bit on this news, and I don't really think that it's it's warranted. Uh, I have been slowly increasing my position, but, uh, you know, I don't want to put too much capital out there, as, as today is a good example for it's good to have capital on the sidelines for, for companies that get oversold. Uh, into these big downturns. So we should be seeing some Artemis phase three data um, by the end of next week. So that, that might save the stock a little bit, but I, uh, I still like them for, for long term. 
And then some other crazy news that happened this week was uh, Biogen futility analysis on aducanumab. So I have spoken previously about Alzheimer's disease, and please check out my previous videos on that if you want more details. But aducanumab was a an antibody that would bind to monomers and uh, maybe not monomers, oligomers and uh, protofibrils and fibrils. And it was, uh, you know, based on this amyloid hypothesis that if you reduce amyloid in the brain, you can reduce the symptoms associated with Alzheimer's disease. But after so many failed trials related to the amyloid hypothesis, I think it's just safe to say that in humans, uh, amyloid does not cause Alzheimer's disease. It is more likely that it's just associated with uh, the condition and doesn't actually um, play into the pathology with it. So uh, it's unfortunate, but um, Biogen does have other assets related to Alzheimer's disease, and uh, we can we can hope for the best in those. There's um, some tau uh, proteins that that might play a role in this disease, and I think that those are, are good options. But it's uh, it's unfortunate for Biogen, and I really hope they do succeed because. Uh, Alzheimer's disease is only increasing in prevalence, so we should all hope that a company is able to get some uh, some good data surrounding this. Another thing that came out this week was uh, Canadis Pharma has a caspase inhibitor for NASH, and that showed up as a failure in phase two. So there's all these little companies that are coming up now and trying everything in NASH, and ones that I never even heard of, including this one. So uh, it's it's, I guess, good to see that the the thyroid receptor beta agonists are proving to be the the kings in this world um but uh it is um something that came out this week and then last week we were we learned that the new fda commissioner or interim commissioner is going to be ned sharpless and i did a little bit of reading on him and he's got a history of uh being a uh, principal investigator at a lab, so he's actually got uh, a research background as well as an entrepreneurial background, and his interests are in aging and cancer. So, you know, if you want to get creative and find some companies that are that are doing some weird aging stuff, he might be more inclined to uh, go along with their their studies. I'm thinking in specific of the the companies that are infusing blood from young people and putting it into old people. That's really the only one I can think of off the top of my head, but. Uh, you can imagine that cancer is obviously a huge market, and it's good to see that there's a commissioner who's very um, pro-entrepreneurial when it comes to developing uh, drugs and, and trying to help people that way. So he's obviously a good pick for the role, and um, yeah, we haven't heard too much since last week, but uh, it's obviously a good thing. All right, going to do a quick portfolio wrap up and then I got to go because I am going camping this weekend and it's going to be freezing, but I'm uh, hoping for the best. So before today, things were actually looking pretty good, but we sold off quite a bit today in the XBI. I think the XBI is only at 25% for the year, but uh, the noteworthy things I did, so I sold Fate at 1740 and it's below 17 now, I believe. I'm going to try to jump back in under 15. The stock has stock a tendency to cycle through these like really high and really low, so I'm going to try to get back in. Ameren, I, uh, I bought at 1914 as well as in the 20s. I If this dip continues, I'm going to continue to add 
and I did mention that I sold that put, so I don't know how I'm gonna calculate that here. If I get assigned the shares at 1850, I'll just include that in here because um, I'm gonna hold them, but um, yeah. So with that, I am below the S&P 500 for the year, but I still have some money on the sidelines, so I'm gonna wait for a good opportunity to jump jump in, especially if the XBI on its own goes down quite a bit. Uh, volatility because of today's rough close increased a little bit at the end of the day. Um, so we'll see if that continues or not, but uh, yeah. Oh, one other thing I was gonna mention, I think I'm gonna remove Illumina from this because it's not really a biotech company. So any, and you know, I have a little bit of money in Dexcom as well, which is medical devices. So I think I'm gonna restrict my portfolio here to just uh, pharmaceuticals and um, medicines and not so much machinery or medical devices. So uh, I might wait till the end of the year though, because Illumina is kind of saving my butt this year. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so with that, I'm going to wrap it up, but thank you guys so much for watching. Have a great weekend, and please like, subscribe, leave me a comment, or follow me at Matthew Lapod on Twitter.